Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt, his name is Chase, and this week we bring you part three of the Florida Habitat series. We kicked it off in North Florida. We traveled all the way down to Central Florida to talk about the scrub oak country, and today we're talking about the perimeter the border country, the part of the state that no one wants to hunt. But if you live in that area, you're trying to make the best of it. And maybe you do have some sick desire to hunt some of the most difficult terrain inside the state of Florida. And that is the coastal habitat part three chase. We just got done recording it with Jason Griffin. Uh, we've had him on the podcast before. He is a very unique character. The guy lives and breathes outdoors and he's got a genuine curiosity for the outdoors that I think is unrivaled. Yeah. Yeah. I, think uh people are going to really enjoy this episode like i mentioned kind of during the episode is i don't really have a lot of experience hunting the coastal <laughs> plains areas <laughs> yeah. but a lot of it that he kind of mentioned um sound familiar uh I, there was uh, some of the areas he mentioned i mean it sounds like some of the areas that i hunt down where i'm at mm-hmm. and uh, i think i could uh after him doing the podcast i could go up there and make it work uh type thing and i think that's kind of our goal is for people to listen to these episodes and go you know what i think i could maybe i do want to take a hunt to the coastal uh, areas of florida and uh try something there and i think during that you'll find enough in that podcast to get you started in, in the right direction and there were also some things in there that while you were scouting or doing whatever you were doing and you found something that he kind of mentioned that I think would even set you up better for success uh, on that uh, particular hunt. But yeah, you can tell the guy, uh, he loves to be in the outdoors. Uh, he loves to talk, which is great. That's the kind of guess that we want on the podcast anyways. <laughs> yeah. I don't even think I said a word for the first like 35, 40 minutes uh, of the podcast. Um, but he went with it and uh, there's a lot of good information. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the purpose of this is to do a high level overview of the, of the different habitat types that we found. And I think what's going to occur, and I don't even think it occurred to me at the time uh, when we, we designed this, but what's happening is a very distinct pattern is starting to develop. And, and I'm not going to spoil it. I want you guys to see if you're seeing it as well on your end, but there's a pattern to all of these episodes and um, it's um, disappointingly obvious because I, I say disappointingly because I didn't see it coming uh, when we planned this series, but it's starting to show its head 
ahead. And so part six of this episode of the series is going to be a roundtable discussion where we kind of talk about uh, these episodes. And I don't know who's going to be on that episode yet, but uh, Chase and I will be there. We're going to have a, a group of deer slayers there and uh, we're going to talk about it and it's going to be fun. So I'm going to keep this short because we got a pretty long episode tonight. I think we went to darn near an hour and a half uh, mm-hmm. with this one. So uh, if you're thinking Habitat, there's no better person to think Habitat alongside you than Spartan Forge. If you think about where automated AI intelligence comes together with actual deer GPS coordinates and, and and predictive abilities. You you put the two together and you have Spartan Forge. And now on top of that, the habitat side to this is they have got one of the best mapping apps on the phone. In some areas, you've got upwards of ten different aerial images of the of a, of a certain location where you can flip through the different seasons and see the changes. You can swap swap between fall and spring maps and see different patterns that occur. And I've been posting on Instagram. I hope you're following us because I've been posting as I do my summer scouting some of these patterns that I'm finding. And so, if you're thinking habitat and you want an app that helps you make a prediction as to where you should hunt and then gives you the tools to figure out where that where is on the map, check out. Spartan Forge, Chasing Tales 25, Chasing Tales, T-A-L-E-S, all caps or all lowercase, it doesn't matter, both of the codes work, that will lock you in for life at whatever price is available today, and that price will continue to tick up as they drop a desktop version, as they buy more and more maps. Uh, Bill is dedicating himself to having the best all-in-one uh, one-stop shop app, and so uh, check him out if you haven't already, and then in addition to that, if you are looking for a system that allows you to hunt in absolutely every situation, which if you're going through all these different habitat types, you don't have have perfect trees all the time. You may not have trees that you want to hunt in. You may have just a, a peter pine that, you, that you're that you going to hang from at ground level. Check out the guys over at Tethered, tethernation.com. We have been with them since day one, and uh, I am proud to say that we're going to continue being alongside them and helping them with developing things. In fact, there's a part on their new platform that's coming out that uh, was a, a random thought that occurred to me at, a, at, a, at an outdoor show several years ago, and they're, they're rolling it out with the new Carbon Fiber platform. So, uh, Chase, we've got some gear coming from them. I can't wait to do a series of video for everybody, and uh, it, the, the limited edition saddles are, are, are headed our way, man. This is going to be a fun <laughs> season in the deer Woods. So uh, go check them out, SpartanForgeTetherNation.com. Show them some love. Let them know we sent you. And uh, with that, guys, I think we're going to computer and recording. All right. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt. His name is Chase. And this guy down here that you can't see too, but I am actually pointing to, is going to remain a uh, mystery for a little bit longer. If this is your first time joining us, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for entertaining us for another week. You know, every week we steadily grow, and every week I'm surprised. Like, I keep waiting. One day, Chase, we're going to wake up, and this thing is going to reach its pinnacle, and we're going to be like, hey. We had a good run, but that's not today. And and thank you guys for continuing to help us grow and, and for us to, to, to push the limit of what that limit could be. But uh, if this is your first time joining us, thank you seriously from the bottom of my heart for, for all the support. Uh, thank you for, for, for trusting us with your time. We have one simple goal with this podcast, and that is to motivate you to get outside in the outdoors and enjoy it, whether that's to go a little further, try something new, or uh, just, just try a little harder. I mean, sometimes a little bit of extra effort goes a long way. 
ways. And I think uh, I think today's guest is going to be able to definitely speak to that because he does some really remarkable things in a part of the country that is rather unremarkable. It's not the kind of place that people go to kill big deer, um, and yet he's killing an age class that a lot of people, and I shouldn't say maybe an age class, but he's killing a quality of deer that I think a lot of people um, don't look to that area for. And I think a lot of people turn up their nose with what's in their backyard. And uh, th- this is part three of the of the Florida Habitat series. Now we've we've punched a little bit outside of Florida just across the line to bring on a guest that has a skill set that you guys know. You you've actually heard this guy on the podcast before. We're breaking down coastal Florida. So part one is a recap if this is your first time. Part one, we broke down North Florida. Part two uh, myself and Split Shot broke down Central Florida, Scrub Oak Country, and now we're addressing the fringe, that brackish saltwater area, the coastal plain area of Florida that uh, is nutrient weak. Um, typically, tip yeah, deficient. Thank you. There you go. There's the. This is why we we pay you the big bucks, Chase. Is just to come <laughs> on here and help me when I stuff uh, stutter. As nutrient deficient, um, it is uh, not exactly fun topography. It's typically flat and and uh, ambiguous in what you're looking at. Lots of palm fronds. So we reached out to a fellow who wakes up every day and throws himself into the midst of that. Jason Griffin is back with us again for a second round. Thank you, sir, for tolerating us once again. No problem. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's um, it, it's funny, you know. I, I, everybody, I, I'm very, I exaggerate. I'm very facetious with things that I say. Nothing in that intro was facetious. The thing that you do in Southeast Georgia in that coastal plain is really remarkable, and I, I, I really have sincere respect for what you do because I grew up in that area, and the type of bucks that you kill just aren't plentiful. So, I mean, it, I'm really excited. If I could kill all the bucks that I see, you'd be really (laughs) impressed. (laughs) Isn't that the difference between like Dan Infault and and, and the rest of us is right. Like he kills all those deer that, that, that he gets a glimpse at, you know? For sure. For sure. (laughs) So why don't you kind of give everybody a rundown of real quick, the elevator pitch. Who, who is Jason Griffin? Uh, I was, well, I guess I should start. I wasn't actually born here. Um, born in sort of Atlanta slash North Georgia area. Um, I actually lived uh, as a teenager in Jasper County, which is like the, the big buck county of Georgia. Um, but I never hunted until <laughs> I was an adult and had kids. And I grew up fishing, though. I grew up in the outdoors. So, I mean, it, it came pretty naturally to me. But um, I really didn't start really hunting honestly, until 2019. Um, so really only like three seasons, um, of like when I say really hunting, I mean, actually scouting, actually kind of knowing what I'm doing and, and actually killing deer. So, um, so it's, it's been pretty exciting. Um, but I, I had to, I, when I moved down here and I wanted to start hunting this area, I was looking for information on how to hunt and that doesn't exist. (laughs) So, um, not to mention, I didn't know anybody down here that hunted. Uh, I do know some people now that would have been a lot of help when I moved down here. But, uh, so anyway, I guess, um, I'm adult onset hunter. Basically I, uh, kind of just self-taught slash, I have learned a lot from people on the internet and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just kind of dove into it and, uh, 
at this point, it's like everything else, fishing and everything else is just sort of falling behind. And it seems like all I can think about is deer hunting. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, it's, I think what is remarkable about you and other individuals I've met is that you have a passion for the outdoors. You, I consider you, and you may, may agree or disagree with this, I consider you an outdoorsman. And what I mean by that is if you have spare time, I think you have a propensity to be diving into the outdoors. And I think you do it in a very holistic manner. I joked before we, we started this podcast, you check your trail cameras at night because that's the time that you have. And it's also the time that you're out there uh, being an amateur herpetologist, you know, chasing snakes around at night, which... You know, right. you're, 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 the high tides, spring high tides come through and, and you shift your focus and you're trying to catch tailing redfish. Like you're, you're that, that general sportsman that's always out there. And I think um, in small ways, maybe not very direct ways, but I think in small ways that impacts you as an outdoorsman because you are just kind of fully immersed in that habitat. It, it's definitely helped me learn um, in a general sense how to hunt. I will admit that I probably could kill more bigger deer if i've spent more time focusing on the deer hunting um i get very distracted i get distracted by other kinds of hunting and fishing and herping i get distracted by learning new properties i'll start to learn a property and be like okay i could go kill a deer there but you know what would be fun it'd be fun to go to this other property and start to learn it (laughs) and i haven't even finished learning the first one so um i don't know if it's adhd or what it is but if it's just a a need to just explore, but I'm, I'm always moving around. So it, it's good and bad. It's definitely taught me how to get on deer quickly. Um, I hunt, I, every year I go back and figure out how many days I hunted. Um, I hunt between, I would say between about 12 to 15 days every season somewhere in that vicinity. Um, Now, when you say that, you mean 12 to 15 hunts or 12 to 15 days of full hunting? Full days of hunting. So, yeah, if I I do two morning hunts, I would count that as as a day of hunting. Um, So, like, last year, I think I got around 15, and that was actually the most I'd ever hunted in a season. Mm -hmm. Um, And when it comes to scouting, like, I'm I'm scouting because I want to go check out this spot we hog hunt a lot while we're scouting look for rattlesnakes while we're scouting. I have done very little trail camera work or really like super dedicated, go find a buck kind of scouting. It's mostly just learning the property, figuring out kind of how the deer are using the property. And then in season, most of my scouting is during the day. So like I'm hunting, I hunt the morning, I scout midday and then I hunt the evening or I just, I mean, sometimes I'll go in and just start scouting at sunup and just, just scout. (laughs) So right, right through the morning. So, um, it's one of the things that I'm pretty good at is avoiding other hunters. I've really, I've really never had an issue with running into hunters. So, I mean, and it's not that there's not other hunters out there. I just, go places they don't want to go so uh but yeah I, I don't i guess what i'm getting at is uh for me like the most important thing is 
being as efficient as possible because I don't actually hunt that much. It's not because I don't want to, obviously, like everyone else, just time doesn't allow it. So, uh, so when I'm hunting, I'm thinking, all right, I've got, you know, if I want to kill a few deer in a season and I'm hunting that many days, that means I need to be killing a deer every two or three days of hunting realistically, which means I need to be seeing deer pretty much every time I sit. And if I don't, I get mad. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think, I think it's interesting because, you know, I see, I see two traits there. I think, I think I see what I was trying to articulate it refined as you were, you were speaking, you have a curiosity and, and I think that's what, that was the underlying trait of the outdoorsman that I think I was referencing was you have this curiosity and this propensity and desire to learn and the familiar is boring to you. And the unfamiliar is, is, you know, I think a lot of people would say it's a challenge and maybe that is part of that core truth. But I think also in addition to that, I think you're also curious about being able to break that down. And I think that that curiosity leads to you while you're looking for snakes, you're looking for deer sign. And while you're looking for deer sign, you're looking for snakes. And um, I think you have to have a curiosity to successfully break down the area you're in because to be efficient in that area. And when you said efficient two two people really popped into mind for me. And that was uh, Parker McDonald and Andy May. Andy May is probably the extreme on that pendulum where the guy like hunts three days a year and kills nine, nine bucks. Right. And it's like Parker hunts maybe a little more than everybody else, but he has the standard of, right. I want to be, I want to be an outdoor content creator. And to do that, I have to do X, Y, and Z. So the more efficient I can be, then the more content that I can create. And I hear, I, I see those two in tandem and I think, man, you're in good company when you're, when you're talking about trying to be efficient and doing it in Southeast Georgia. So let's kind of break this down. Um, one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on the show is because you are, um, uh, while not classically trained in the sciences, you immerse yourself in that. And so I knew you could speak to the habitat in that area beyond just my rambling at the, at the beginning of this when I couldn't even find the words. So kind of, kind of break down what coastal plain is for everybody. Okay. So, um, so you've got so there. I'll, I'll say it's divided into two categories. You've got the coastal plain, which the coastal plain goes from obviously the coast all the way up to where the Piedmont starts. So that's an enormous area. I would imagine basically the entire state of Florida is considered coastal plain. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of South Georgia, all of South Alabama, the half of South Carolina, um, all of that has a lot of obviously a lot of differences, but also a lot of similarities. Um, where I live is right on the coast as in I could walk that way for about five minutes and I'd be in the marsh. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's right on the marsh, right on the coast. Um, so obviously it's, it's sand. Um, all the soil is sand. Um, it's interesting because there's actually a lot within a very small area. You can actually have a lot of different habitat types. So where I'm hunting you could have salt marsh, you could have hardwood bottom, you could have scrub oak and pine plantation within a 100 acre block, Mm -hmm. all right there together. Um, You could have, you throw in cypress swamp into that. Um, You could have a live oak hammock and you could have a water oak hardwood bottom. Yeah. All of that pretty much within a hundred, 200 acres. (laughs) So, uh, it, so when talking about the habitat, it, it's difficult because you're really hunting all of those habitats or mm-hmm. you can 
you wanted to, you could focus on essentially one of those habitats. But, um, but yeah, so it, it's sort of like, well, to describe it, well, it, it's all of that. It just depends on where you're at on that particular day. Um, when I, I guess the easiest thing to do is probably just start with like how I break down a new property. Let's do it. Um, first thing I do is obviously the roads. So I, I like map scouting, but driving roads is super helpful. Um, actually seeing it, you know, so I'd basically drive all of the roads that I can drive. Um, I would say pressure is the first thing I look at. So I'm going to look at that map. I'm going to drive the roads. I'm going to decide where I think people are going. Um, they're not necessarily going to the closest area. It's going to be mostly visual. When you're driving down a road, if you look off of the road and it's just like thick, scrubby brush, it might only be 30 yards thick and nobody's going to walk through it. <laughs> um, so, but they will go down a logging road until it ends, basically. I mean, if it's a mile, they'll go. There's a WMA here that has, um, that I, I don't hunt very much, but it has a, like a four mile long walk-in access road. And there's plenty of people that hunt the very end of that road. <laughs> um, but you know, 200 yards into the swamp, right off the parking area, they don't hunt. Now that's not to say that I'm hunting intentionally near parking areas, but I just mean that like where people go is generally visually based. What does it look like? Does it look like I can walk through that or not? If it doesn't, they're not going to go through it. Um, you get down on your hands and knees and you crawl through it and it might open right up on the other side. So, uh, so that's kind of the first thing I do is where do I think people are not going? And obviously I do use, uh, map scouting to help me figure that out as well. Um, the other thing I look for, the very one of the first things I look for is uh, tracks on the road. So you can take um, you could take a, a say a 500 acre block. You could walk or drive the sand roads, and you could pinpoint within an hour of doing that maybe a half a dozen major crossings, and you'll see fresh tracks, and you'll also see um, the trails will just be beat down through through the brush where they're coming in and out of the brush. So you can kind of go on a map and you can sort of like, okay, like this road here, this road here, they're crossing here, they're crossing here. And you start to kind of like, look what's between these two crossings. And you'll start to see patterns of where they're going and why they're doing it. Um, and then I'll just get on those trails and just walk them and just see where they go. Um, I've found spots that I hunted just by literally there's like a bunch of beat down deer tracks right here in this road. I'm just going to walk in here like, hundred yards and I've set up and just hunted right there. I've done that before. And, you know, within an hour deer come by, <laughs> like it's, it's sometimes it's actually that easy. We, we, I know we like to overcomplicate things sometimes. Um, so that's kind of like the very, very first thing I do. Um, the next thing I do is I just look for anywhere where there's as many different habitat types that come together. So I'm looking for, Water, pines, hardwoods, marsh edge, swamp edge, whatever. I just want all of those things as close to proximity as possible. Um, the, the best spot 
that I had last year um, that I'm really focusing on still further focusing on this year was there was planted pines, hard uh, live oaks and salt marsh and cedar thickets in the salt marsh, which we'll talk about that later. Mm -hmm. Um, All within Oh, and then also then over to the side, there's, I, I don't know what it's called. I need to look that up what it's called, but there's a, it's like the South Georgia version of rhododendron, but uh, there's oh, this like um, woody, but it only grows yeah. in the swamps. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. It, Down here, uh, we call them tie ties, but I, I, it's not. Okay. It, it's it, whatever it is. It's, it's only in the like yep. really swampy stuff. Yeah. So, so there's that. And they're all within, I mean, you could walk, you could stand in the middle and you could walk a hundred yards in each direction and you'd hit all of those habitat types. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason though, that it's such a good spot mostly is because the lack of pressure. So there's hunters that hunt this area, this whole block. Nobody goes into that area. I've had cameras set up on the, on the access ways that you can access it. Um, and not a single person has ever accessed it. Not once. And this is a property that was the most heavily hunted property in Georgia last year. And the second most heavily hunted the year before that. And this is one of the most heavily hunted access points or gates on that property. And not a single person has entered this, we'll say, 100-acre block. Wow. Um, and the main reason is palmettos. So there is one of the things I learned, and it it took me a little while to learn this down here, but the palmettos, if you can learn how to hunt palmettos, it's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, They bed in them and they are probably the most consistent funnel that you'll find down here. Um, I remember when I moved down here, I was like, there are no funnels. Like, how do you, like, what do you mean funnels? Like there is nothing that funnels. It's just, it's just thick and it's flat. And it's just like, how do you find funnels? That's how you find funnels. Mm -hmm. You find palmettos that you cannot walk through. And then you figure out how to walk through them. (laughs) And that's where the deer walk. So in this particular case, there's a wall of palmettos that pretty much blocks off any access to a live oak hammock, except you either walk, into the marsh and go around the palmettos through the salt marsh, or there is one spot that you can walk through the palmettos. And it's just like a, a basically it's just a, a pinch point where it's the distance through the palmettos is just, you know, 20 yards or something instead of a hundred yards. Um, and the way I found that spot is, uh, is actually kind of funny. Uh, the way I found that spot is I shot a doe and I blood tracked her and I blood tracked her through the funnel and was like, ah, this is how you get over here. (laughs) So, uh, that's actually how I figured it out. But in any case, um, it basically, so there, this backing out to the larger area, there's, uh, there's scrapes every year down the logging road, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, there's bucks using it. Um, there's another logging road that goes around to the marsh edge over on the other side. There's 
rubs down this logging road and we set up cameras and never got any deer on it. I don't, I don't understand what's happening. Like they're obviously coming through here, but I, I don't know what's happening. And basically what I said was, all right, well, this is an easy to access area. I know there's deer sign. I know there's deer using it. Here's this other area I figured out that nobody's going into. So what I'm going to do is I'm not even going to scout it. I did not scout it. I mean, I, I, when I say I didn't scout it, I mean, I did not walk through the block. I only walked around the edge of the block and basically said, this is how I can get in. As soon as I figured out how to get in, I turned around and came out. I went in opening day. Um, I waited until uh, completely light. I, I feel like I'm jumping around too much here. You're doing um, great. If I'm not, if I haven't been into an area to hunt, I wait until it's daylight and I, I hunt my way in. I don't go in in the dark. I feel like I'm just busting out all the deer. Um, so I chase is not his head because that is a huge thing for him. <laughs> so I, uh, I hunted my way in about, about eight o'clock. I think it was, um, I actually sat in a different spot for the first hour, just out of, just to have somewhere to sit, but I, I didn't see anything. Hunted my way in and 11 o'clock. Now, mind you, this is opening day of archery season in Georgia. 11 o'clock, a buck came cruising through, nose to the ground, grunting. Um, the only problem was I was set up on the ground, and I had a longbow. Um, <laughs> big mistake there because <laughs> he stopped at about 25 yards and spotted me. And he didn't know for sure what I was, but he went around me and stopped at about 35 yards broadside and looked at me. And I'm not going to lie. I thought about, <laughs> I thought about it, but I didn't. And, um, and from there, he basically just went into the marsh and, and left. So uh, that was pretty disappointing. But had I been a smart person and uh, taken my compound bow or maybe been set up in a saddle or something, I probably could have killed him because he was literally coming down like facing right at me like he was going to mm. walk over me basically so uh in any case um it so why was i hunting there basically because no access uh the the palmettos created a funnel um and then the other thing is over so in a coastal area in the fall, acorns are huge. Everybody I talk to down here that's, that's successful seems like use acorns. Um, I know you talked to Ricky a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Um, we hunt a lot of similar areas as well. Um, I think y'all got each other on trail cameras at some point, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, no. No, that wasn't you too? Okay, never mind. No, he, he's told me, I don't know his spots but i know generals yeah. and no, we're not we're hunting different areas gotcha but um he uh same thing though i mean he he hung a camera last year on a uh a white oak actually which is kind of unique for down here um he hung, hung a camera on a white oak and he had like three good bucks on it the first day wow i mean just and then something happened and he didn't get to hunt so <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyway um 
but well, uh, let yeah, me, so, let me, let me pause yeah. real quick. Cause you said several things I feel like are worth unpacking there. Um, having been in this habitat my whole life, literally my formidable years as a deer hunter, if you were to put me in any one habitat to kill deer, it's nothing over here. It's not Lake Seminole. It's not, you know, any of the WMAs in this area, put me in Southeast Georgia and I'm going to be able to, within a couple of days, assess an area and kill a deer. Um, mm-hmm. I said that, I said that in 2020 and I went and did it. Right. And so, yeah. um, some of the things that you said there, I feel like are kind of, kind of worth really expounding on. One of the issues that we face with a coastal habitat is that the sign is scattered. And so new hunters, let's, let's keep that in mind. Uh, the guy that's not seasoned, they come across all this habitat. I'm curious, our, our sign, how do you know it's actionable sign? What, what has to happen in your mind for you to say, okay, this rub line, this pitch point, this is worth hunting and why? And it's kind of a, a subjective day-to-day kind of answer, but I found some natural trends and I'm curious if, if you have as well. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So for me, um, I have had, I had a lot of difficulty with that when I first started hunting this area. I'm going to tell you one of the things I do that is, that is actually um, probably helps me the most and, uh, this is cheating, but it's, but it's the hard way. Okay. So if I'm not sure where the deer are, um, or how they're using an area, and this doesn't really work if you're trying to hunt like that day or that weekend. Um, but I will basically, so still hunting, I know people in South Georgia call still hunting, like sitting still and hunting versus dog hunting, but When I say still hunting, I mean moving and hunting, right? Mm -hmm. Stalking through the woods. Um, I will hunt that way in order to find deer. Um, I've found that if, if say we've got a 500 acre block, I walk it, there's deer sign everywhere. Go out there and sit. Don't see any deer. Go try a different area, sit. Don't see any deer. What's going on? Get out there at seven o'clock in the morning, pick a route. 
from sign to sign to sign, usually down edges of some kind, right? Habitat edges. And just walk it as sneaky as you can and look for deer. Anywhere that you see deer, you make a note where you saw deer at. Then go back and scout those areas and figure out what were the deer doing there? Why were they there? Where were they coming from? Where were they going? Um, and that's, that's honestly, it takes time to do that. But that's been one of the most successful ways for me to figure out like sign that's actually signed to hunt versus sign that's just at some point deer laying the sign down, but I don't know when and I don't know where or how or whatever. Um, because like there's times, you know, where you might have a really good acorn crop, for an example, certain time of the year where there's just, there's just a thousand acorn oak trees that you can hunt, water oaks, whatever. And, uh, you know, the traditional thing that people say is you know, go look under the tree, look for where the, the acorns are being eaten, look for deer droppings, all that kind of stuff. I've done that. And said, hey, you know what? I'm not seeing any any deer. Like, I don't know where are they at. So I've done the same thing. Um, I did this on one particular WMA out here. I hunted uh, probably a one-mile stretch. I still hunted it. Um, saw deer. Came back. Um, by the way, I saw deer feeding on acorns with no deer droppings. Mm-hmm. Came back and hunted it and saw an eight-point buck feeding right under the tree with no deer droppings. So, and that, that's actually something I'm still trying to figure out. Um, I don't know if it's the, the humidity level that causes them to decompose quicker or something. You don't generally find concentrations of droppings in in Southeast Georgia. I I don't feel like I find them. Like I, I find deer droppings, but, uh, but as far as just like multiple piles around a tree, I'll go up in the North Georgia and I'll find that and I'll look down here and I'll look and look and look and I don't find it. So I, I don't know. Exactly I have a theory. Is, I have but, a theory on that. When you get done, I have okay. a theory about that myself. Okay. Maybe the hogs too. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so so that's kind of how one of the ways that I've figured out how to like because of that yeah. the sign being scattered issue. Literally, just it's like the same idea as when people in the Midwest talk about a uh, um, an observation sit, except you can't see anything in Southeast Georgia. <laughs> true. So how do you do, how do you do an observation sit? You walk through it. Um, people worry about bumping deer. I have bumped the same deer out of the same spot at the same time of day, three weeks in a row. I, I, it is what it is. You're going to bump some deer. Most of the time, I don't think it matters. <laughs> so um, now I will say that I do think it matters I have, so I, I had a theory about this. I actually got confirmation and I'm trying to remember who it was. There was a a researcher that did some, um, work on collared deer movement on uh, some public land. And I think it was South Carolina. And they said that the highest, when they compared deer movement on a daily basis throughout the week, the highest days of movement was thursday through saturday you sent me that article and and the lowest was like sunday through like tuesday Mm -hmm. so it takes deer they react quickly to pressure and then it takes them 
five days ish to sort of recover from the pressure. So if I'm going to hunt an area and I bump deer, I'll have, so I'll have multiple spots to hunt. So I'll hunt multiple different spots in a weekend. And then I'll sort of rotate back through those spots the next weekend. So instead of hunting one spot three days in a row, I might hunt three spots and then a week later or two weeks later, hunt those three spots again. So I, I do it kind of like that. So to try to keep pressure down on the spots that I'm hunting. Um, but uh, yeah, find so, uh, so let's talk about the scout idea. So okay. <clears throat> I, I read a study when I was in college that talked about the forage per square mile in the coastal habitat. You know, now they drew a line and they basically said like what you did, the, the same demarcation, which is basically you have the salt marsh area where it's a heavy salt influence. And then progressively it changes as you get up to the Piedmont, um, the Piedmont line. So one of the things they talked about was that was one of the nutrient poorest areas in the country uh, in the state and they had to go the furthest distance to get the nutrients that they need and the what i the, what that says to me is that the reason why you don't find sign is because those deer move more in southeast georgia than they do in let's say cooper's creek or you know north georgia where right. they can sit underneath a white oak eat underneath that white oak get all the nutrients they need when in reality i bet you they can't just in southeast georgia go to a water oak eat on that water oak and get everything they need. They got to go hit that green briar. They got to go hit that, 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 that creeping, uh, creeping, uh, Virginia creeper. They've got to go through and they've got to hit those other places. And so I don't think they sit long enough to drop that accumulation. What I do think happens is if you find an accumulation of deer scat, you are in very close proximity to an area in which they are very, very frequently traveling. And I found this to be exceptionally true in Southeast Georgia. If I found deer scat and I really looked around, it was a bedding area. It was a thicket surrounded by open areas. Um, I think if you, I think if we're going to acknowledge they move a long distance and the, and the odds of finding scat is minimal. If you find a bunch of scat, you're in the, you're in the money. I think you're, you're, you're in a high opportunity area. There are definitely places where obviously you will find a lot of droppings under a particular oak tree or in a bedding area. Like you said, I just don't find it enough to use that as like mm-hmm. a marker of whether I should or shouldn't hunt an area. Absolutely. So yes, I would like to find that, but if I don't, it still could be a good spot. It could still have a lot of deer traffic. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I, I will, I, we should probably talk a little bit about the different kinds of oak trees. So, um, because a lot of what I'm doing, okay, well, let me, let me back up and say this. It is Southeast Georgia. Same thing as the rest of Florida. They can bed anywhere they want. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they bed, I would say in palmettos more than anything else, um, in this specific area. Um, but they can bed wherever. So hunting food is obviously mostly what I'm doing. Um, we have basically water oaks, live oaks, and swamp chestnut oaks. Um, really the only three oaks I've had any success on down here. Um, you cut out the very beginning, or at least on yeah. my end you did. What, what were those three? Um, water oaks, uh, live oaks, yep. and swamp chestnut oaks. Gotcha. Those are the three that I've had success on. Um, water oaks come in the earliest. So in September they're dropping and I'm making a generalization here because obviously every individual tree is different. 
Um, but it seems like the most water oaks come in uh, late September, early October. Live oaks start coming in late October into November. Um, and then the swamp chestnuts are just kind of like right there in the middle of October in, in the W maze that I'm hunting. Um, the, when those water oaks come in early in the year, September, early October, they are by far the best food source to hunt. Um, there's a, there's another guy down here that, what is his name? Um, he's the, uh, he does, he's the uh, traditional bow hunter. What is it? Robert Carter. Oh, Robert legend. Chris. Yes. RC, he talks, RC on, uh, on the Woody's geo and foreign. He, he does not live too far from here. Um, he, and that's a lot of what he does is hunt water oaks. Um, now the, uh, the live oaks are interesting. I have found more than any other oak species down here that there are individual live oak trees that the deer will not feed on. Mm-hmm. Don't know what's different from that from the next live oak, right? But you'll have live oak here, dropping acorns. Everything looks great. Deer will walk right past them, walk right over them and not touch them. They will rot on the ground. And they will never get eaten. Mm-hmm. But this live oak over here gets fed on every single day and they'll come back to it for weeks on end, feeding on the same tree. I do not know what that is. Um, that is something to keep in mind if it looks good and you're not seeing deer move on sometimes you just you don't know why um the uh because the sign is so scattered i don't ever hunt a spot a second time if i don't see deer the first time i don't have that many days to hunt if it looks good and i think it's money and i don't see deer I was wrong <laughs> and I go somewhere else. So I know that's not, I'm sure that that's not always going to be the best plan, but it's just how I, how I do it. So, so are you, are you familiar between the, the, the taxonomy split in the, in the water Oak family? Uh, as in like red Oaks and white Oaks as in, as in the, the water Oak in once you hit the Northern part of Florida, there is a, uh, an effort among botanists to separate the water oak species. Uh, water oaks and like, like many oaks are very quick to hybridize. Uh, and so as you get down into Florida, everything, I guess, is breeding with everything. And it's difficult to, 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 <laughs> to separate the two. But starting in about Gainesville up, I found pretty much everywhere where there are water oaks. Um, there are two uh, genus uh, species within Virginiana, whatever that that virginia kind of so whatever it is uh basically there's a swamp laurel and then there's the laurel oak and the laurel oak has a round or pin-shaped leaf and a water oak has a three-lobed or a two-lobed leaf to it okay I have been watching very closely. About two years ago, Chase convinced me uh, to have Warren Womack on the podcast. It took a lot of arm twisting to get me to, to, to say yes to that one. <laughs> um, 
but he, he started talking about feed trees and that was something that I realized plant species was something I could really focus on and, and really learn. And I started really watching the correlation between feed, which trees were feed trees and which ones weren't. Laurel oaks, I have never once, with the exception of squirrels, witnessed something feed on a laurel oak. And when, I, when you go and you see those laurel oaks, oftentimes, and this is my own personal experience, I'm not speaking this out there to any of the listeners telling you you didn't kill something under a laurel oak. I'm not trying to say that. In yeah. my experience, when I watch, there will be a carpet of acorns underneath a laurel oak. But if you find a water oak that's dropping, a, a two to three lobed leaf that looks identical in, in every other aspect, typically it has a dark green acorn instead of just a brown acorn. It's this real like hunter brown color. It has a little bit of an ambience and hue to it. Those are almost hit every time. I think you're on to something. Um, I haven't kept up with it that specifically but that I'm, I'm thinking back on areas I've hunted didn't didn't see deer and and I would say that that's probably mostly true um I can think of one spot that might be an exception but I would say it's more of an exception out of necessity they don't have as many options in that spot mm-hmm. um but that's about it um, but yeah, I, I would say that's mostly been my experience too. Um, the big mature traditional water oaks in river bottoms, which where I'm at, you have to get to find a lot of those. You have to get, I don't know, 20, 30 miles mm-hmm. off the coast to really start finding those in, in large quantities. When you find those, yeah, they the deer it's deer candy. They love them. Um, but uh, yeah, so it it's funny because when I was thinking about about our conversation today, like how how do I hunt? I actually hunt so many different ways. <laughs> like I'm using there's so many ways to skin a cat. Right? There's so many ways to hunt deer. I'm kind of using all of them together. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not except really for, except good. for dogs. I don't know that you've ever used a dog. No, but I mean, if a coyote runs a deer through, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't complain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, no, I uh, I have not done that, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm looking for food sources. I'm looking for I'm looking for edges where habitat types come together. I'm looking for funnels. I'm looking for pretty much all of it. The only thing I don't really do is I don't really hunt buckside. Why? How does that, how does that factor into your decision? So when you're scouting and you find uh, rubs and, and scrapes everywhere, does that just a, so what? It, it's a wild goose chase. <laughs> Inevitably leads to broken hearts because <laughs> it looks so good and you don't see anything. Um, I'm exaggerating a little bit there. Uh, most of the areas that I've seen bucks or killed bucks, there was not any buck sign at all. Um, there was buck sign a few hundred yards away, but in Southeast Georgia, there is buck sign every few hundred yards through mm-hmm. any block of woods that you hunt anywhere. Yeah, It has absolutely no bearing whatsoever on why that deer was there. Um, the, uh, the, the spot that I, okay, so the spot I was talking about earlier, 
you can't get around the palmettos. Um, I have found the that particular buck's bed, um, as well as some other areas that I believe he's also bedding in that aren't really like I I, I believe I bumped him on more than one occasion. There wasn't really a, a like a a bed like that he returns to and uses over and over again. There is one like that that I did find, um, but a whole bunch of other beds around there. The the area near the road, the area that other people are hunting, there is dozens of scrapes and several times dozens of rubs. And the area that I saw the buck in and that I hunted, there's not a single scrape and there's not a single rub. And that's his bedroom. And he, there's, not even a, there's not even a rub on his bed. Um, now that could have a lot to do with just that individual buck's personality, right? Um, some other buck that's living there could rub all the trees all around his bed. That could totally happen. But, uh, but my point is it just, it doesn't, I don't, I've tried hunting around buck sign and using it and I just, I quit trying and, uh, I have killed, well, you know what? I will say this, uh, the buck I killed last year. Well, no, not really. No, his bed had droppings in it, but he didn't have any rubs on his bed either. I tell you, I don't really pay any attention to rubs in Southeast Georgia, but scrapes for some reason are a bit of a different animal for me. If I can find uh, adjacent to security cover, uh, a, a line of scrapes that look like they're staying clean, cleaned out, that to me has because that that's a little more that's a little more difficult to find. It's a little more rare to find a, mm-hmm. to find a scrape line, um, especially adjacent to security cover. Um, but that has proven, especially palmettos. Like if you can find like that, that faint path that goes into the palmettos and you find one or more scrapes on the, on the exterior of that faint path, you, you, yep. you tend to be a, in a pretty good spot. If it were me and I found a spot like that, I would probably, I would be looking for either where is the buck, bedding and coming out of the bedding mm-hmm. or where is the first place he's feeding when he gets up the rut here is so like kind of strung out that you don't really have the issue of it's the rut so you they're not going to feed I, i've seen like they will rut and feed at the same time of year mm-hmm. um obviously the bucks are feeding less but they have no issue at all coming in with a swollen up neck and feeding. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, but so like a lot of times I've noticed where bucks are bedding, there's almost always an oak tree dropping acorns within a hundred yards of their bed. And I think if you set up on or near that, that's a money spot. Mm-hmm. Um, the scrapes, it just seems like even when I put cameras on scrapes, it seems like they always come in like 10 minutes after shooting. Light. <laughs> like I, it, I don't think, I think that even when there's a scrape near their bedding area, I just don't think it's the first place they go when they get up. Um, and I'm sure I'm not by any means a super experienced hunter. I'm sure there are exceptions to that. I know that if you run a camera on a scrape through the rut, you're going to have deer in daylight hitting that scrape. But I mean, I don't have time to go, okay, well, at some point in these next two weeks, he's probably going to hit this scrape during the daylight. So Mm -hmm. let me just hunt it a bunch and see and wait for him to do it. Like 
if I know where he's bedded, I'm going to go in there and kill him that day. That's the goal. Um, the buck I killed last year, um, yeah, I basically knew the general gist of where he was bedding. Now, this is a rifle hunt. This is not the same. It's not bow hunting. I knew the gist of where he was bedding. I didn't know which buck it would be. Unfortunately, it was not a particularly big buck. Um, but because there's there's a handful of good bucks in this area. But uh, I literally walked into his bedding area, um, killed him at like 10 a.m., just walking into his bedding area. Mm. So I could have sat on the edge of the bedding area and been like, oh, man, you know, maybe at 730 he'll come walking out and I can kill him. But I had a rifle, so I just walked in there and killed him. I know that's <laughs> a little bit. I know that's not like normally the way people hunt, but it, but you're it works also, you're me. also not hunting, and I think it's just important. You're also not hunting the same kind of place most people hunt. No, right? Not, like no. If, if we're going to acknowledge that you 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 live in a place that has certain limitations, like applying the same. This is the this is the issue I had growing up. Is, and Chase, you probably, uh, as you were an adult onset hunter, the like it, what Jason led with is probably the same thing in Florida. Like, there's there's no content, there's no guideline, there's no book on how to do it here. You got a couple of good old boys that would hang up stands, and then they would they would notice certain patterns, but I don't think they really ever d- tried to decipher the patterns to to really give them any kind of insight. Um, and it was more of well, every every Saturday I'm gonna I'm gonna sit here and hunt, and eventually something's gonna walk out, and I'll and I'll dust it. And some guys were better at assessing those locations and putting corn out sometimes, and and you know that that made them look like better hunters. But there just really wasn't anybody in in the room that could be like, this is how you you do the dance. Chase, did you kind of feel somewhat similarly here in Florida? For sure. I mean, kind of what he was talking about going back to the scrapes and stuff like that. Uh, if Jake Bush was on this podcast right now, he would be preaching the exact opposite of what he just said of, yeah, yeah the buck's going to get up an hour before dark. He's going to walk right to this scrape. That's going to be the first thing he's going to hit. And then he's going to go out and feed uh, on the acorns. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny. I mean, he hunts Ohio um, that you could read or you could have heard that podcast and think, Oh, I'm going to apply that to Florida where he's going. No, I haven't had those same things happen. Um, and it's good. And it's kind of like here, we're kind of saying is you got to kind of be out in the woods. You got to be scouting. You got to be ever evolving and not just uh, put yourself into, okay, I'm, I'm a scrape guy or I'm a, uh, strictly a, a ground person or whatever. There's uh, so many different ways that you're going to have to try to um, use to be able to get on uh, bucks uh, here in Florida. And he's talking about knowing where, okay, these are, this is where these bucks are bedding. Um, and I go where I'm at. I'm like, okay, he's probably bedded in this 500 acre block somewhere <laughs> as opposed to like, Oh, he's probably better than a hundred yards away uh, from this area. And a lot of the places I don't, or I hunt uh, feed trees, aren't that big of a deal. I mean, when you're talking about finding concentrated sign around uh, feed trees and things like that, I just never find it. Like when Warren Womack's talking or whatever, all the areas I scout and stuff like that is a never finding deer droppings uh, under trees. Um, I find them in bedding areas galore, um, and stuff like that. But, uh, it, it, even a lo- last week we were supposed to do this podcast and you were like, Hey, do you want to take point on this? I can't do it. I'm like, Walter, I have, 
never hunted the coastal plains ever. I'm like, it would be the, probably the worst <laughs> podcast ever. Cause I mean, I, I could ask them questions about it as a noob uh, yeah. of that. And, but a lot of it kind of sounds like stuff that we hunt down here, just a, mm-hmm. a little bit different. I mean, there's yeah. areas you can hunt that are thick with palmettos. I mean, there's swamp, there's cypress areas down where I'm at live Oak, um, stuff like that. But yeah, I'm, uh, I would not be able to go. Yeah. 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 I've, I've encountered that same situation on the coastal plains that, that you're talking when about. When I'm hunting feed trees, I'm looking for, um, I'm not looking, I'm looking for tree feed trees that are in an area that I think there would already be deer. Okay. So let's just say that we have, I, I think of a couple of good examples. Um, one good example is live oak sandwiched between a palmetto thicket that I've busted deer out of and a salt marsh. Even when this all summer, basically all year long, deer are walking through this area, whether those oaks are dropping or not. It just so happens that when the oaks start dropping, it gets really, really good, right? But you could set up on that spot in April and you would see deer. Um, another example, a little further inland with water oaks. Um, I'm hunting basically ridges in the swamp. So it's just like a a high, whenever the river comes up, it's just going to be whatever's still dry. Mm -hmm. But when the river's down, it's just like a Tupelo Cypress, which is sort of like a negative space for the deer. There's not really, it's kind of open. There's not really any bedding. There's not much food. Um, there's swamp like that. And then you have these high ridges through it that have palmettos, um, swamp chestnut and, and water oaks. They have greenbrier and thickets on them. And the deer are walking these ridges and the same thing. They're walking these ridges all year round. They're bedding on them all year round. The only thing I'm looking for is I have a two square mile area of swamp and ridges. Where do I choose to hunt on these ridges? I walk the ridges until I find deer sign and water oaks dropping in the same spot. And then I hunt that spot. But if I was to hunt that tree when it wasn't dropping, there's still a pretty good chance you're going to see a deer. So if I was to go into an area where I found oaks dropping and there wasn't any other features or any other reason for the deer to walk through there, I probably wouldn't hunt it because it seems like whenever I've tried that, um, even if I find deer sign um, or feeding sign, it still seems like it's a really low, low success rate hunt. But if I can find a feed tree in an area that, and I, I hate to use the word funnels because it's not exactly funnels, but that concentrates deer anyway, then, or especially in the springtime, like if you're hog hunting in the spring, turkey hunting in the spring, and you find um, a lot of deer activity, you hit those same spots in the fall, find the feed trees, and then you're going to get on deer. It is getting dark in here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I agree with that. Um, and it's not to say that I haven't ever had luck on trees that were dropping acorns and things like that. It was just like, and I even had one year, I was the biggest buck I've killed in Florida. Um, I was hunting this area kind of early. That's when the water oaks dropped like early, they dropped early, but nothing was on them. I mean, nothing was hitting them 
early. And then come two months, two months later, I go back to that area and I could see a little bit of concentrated sign. I'm like, Oh, it looks like they're hitting these water oaks now. Um, and set up in there and there was just deer funneling through that area galore. I mean, I, I, I didn't kill them the first time I sat there, but the first time I sat there, I probably saw six or seven different, like younger bucks and a bunch of does. And they were all funneling through going back to a bedding area. It was near bedding and they were funneling through that area, just kind of picking up acorns here and there, but they weren't just sitting there for 10, 15 minutes feeding. They were just checking that tree on the way back and they were hitting kind of what was on the ground. Uh, And then like a hunt later, I I ended up killing them uh, on that tree. So it's kind of, and I've heard of, there was like acorn studies and stuff like that, where sometimes deer don't key in on those acorns when they drop initially, they might key in on them a month later, two months later. And that could just be lack of other food sources um, playing into that factor. That could be, um, Walter, that the deer that, um, the deer I killed a couple years ago that we talked about last time, um, the spot that I killed that deer was, let's say, wasn't it? Do what? It was where I killed my doe, wasn't it? Um, I don't think so. No, it wasn't. It wasn't even remotely close. No. Um, so there was a, an, an area of between it really what it was is it was a a huge i guess you would just call it an oak flat i don't it was just a a flat sort of monotonous area of hardwood and oaks and that particular year there was every oak was dropping right like every single oak was dropping and I'm trying to think how to give you an idea of how big the area is. Cause it, I mean, it's a pretty big area. We're talking like two, 300 yards square mile, uh, two, two, 300 yards square, right? It's more than that. Yeah. Um, that it, that area is cause I, I, that area is probably a thousand yards by a few hundred yards. It's kind of long and skinny. Yep. Yep. Um, and almost every tree that year was dropping acorns. So where specifically did I hunt that happens to be like, I could not have predicted any better. Like the spot that that buck stepped out was like exactly where I thought a deer was going to step out. And the reason was because in the spring, <laughs> again, cheating here in the spring, I had watched does cross this area um and i had basically observed the area and i had noticed about three different areas that the does traveled through here all the time now this was a late season hunt this buck was not running um there was a little bit of running activity but the buck was feeding on acorns and it was post rut but where he stepped out out of this sea of acorns was simply where I had seen deer come through. There was no particular sign. There was no scrapes or rubs. There was no droppings. It was just, I have visually with my own eyes seen there are only like three areas here roughly that deer are moving through. And that's all based on scouting that had happened completely outside of of the fall, um, of there even being acorns there. So even though, that wasn't something I could predict by looking at the, um, at the, 
at the, what's the word I'm looking for? Topography or vegetation or anything else. It was still the same concept of this is a feed tree in an area that has concentrated deer activity. And because it's in that area is why they were there. As opposed to them leaving their habits or where they typically travel to go find a feed tree, which doesn't really seem to happen. And, and it looks to me from what I can tell, like when you find these areas of deer movement in this part of Georgia, they pretty much stay on that all year round. Um, from what I can tell, it, whether it's the rut, whether it's the spring turkey season, whether it's the summer, whether it's the winter, they seem to use certain areas all the time and completely avoid other areas all the time. Yeah, I, I think I, I was a little slow to, to acknowledge that, but I was thinking about what you're talking about, and it's a very, like, annual use. They don't have those big major shifts, like, you know, that, that October lull or, you know, the the velvet the velvet's lost and suddenly they change. You know, I've got – I just got a whole bunch of big bucks on camera um, mm-hmm. or potential big bucks on camera. Did I send you those photos? Um, You did. Yeah, you did. Yeah, and it's like, you know, everybody's comment to me is like, oh, none of those are going to be there once they lose their velvet. And it's like, maybe – Maybe, but there's bucks on there, and <clears throat> I saw those. I saw bucks using that area to begin with, and I knew it was a good spot because of kind of what you said, cheating. I I, I was up moving around, I was scouting and uh, still hunting. Really, was what I was doing. I had my gun up, and I was just taking a couple steps and then glassing and taking a couple steps. Um, yep. But I found this little peninsula out in the swamp, and uh, I busted deer that were moving to get away from me. They kind of trotted their way across that and went into the <clears throat> into the the peninsula, this tiny little peninsula, and then stayed. And then the next day I went around to the other side and I came up that way and they busted and went you know, across the swamp and back across into this peninsula. I'm like, okay, well, there's a pattern, right? Um, yep. Some of those areas are just good annual areas for – some of them are cooler for thermal reasons during the summer, and then they also provide food in the wintertime. I mean the browse line in that place was un- unreal. Everything was nipped off at like waist high. Yep. Uh, um that spot that you killed a deer in in uh, in 2020 here in Georgia, uh huh. I could probably go to that. It is what it's almost dark here. If I was sitting there right now, I'd probably be watching deer. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, so let's do this. We're, we're, we're we've we've exceeded an hour, but there's one thing that you said at the beginning you wanted to touch on that I was okay. hoping you would touch on, and then you said we just we, we've lost it across the way, and that was the cedar the cedar patches out out in the marsh. Okay. So the marsh has, there's different types of marsh, right? So I don't, I, I don't know the scientific terms for all of this, but um, the easiest way I'll describe it is there is marsh you can walk in <laughs> and marsh you can't. Yeah. Um, That's right. Marsh. <laughs> and within the marsh that you can walk in, there's, there's still, some variation so you've got like kind of the hard packed marsh like people typically fish for redfish on right um fiddler crabs martina grass all that there'll be deer tracks all through that stuff um but the deer obviously are just moving through it they're not really living there um you have the marsh that's just like black muck up to your thighs that you'll probably get stuck in and die if nobody's there to help you um i it actually appears as though the deer do travel through that. I don't know how, um, but obviously you can't hunt that either, but there's other marsh that is like 
spongy. Mm-hmm. So you can walk on it. You might occasionally sink up to your knees. It's, it's just very sloshy and spongy. And within these areas that I've, I've found there to be pockets of, they're basically like cedars. Um, they'll just be like little tiny, tiny thickets of it. Um, and so, you know, you have different sizes and whatnot. Uh, the deer rub them quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if you can find areas that are a little bit more, a little bit bigger with a little bit firmer ground and, and more mature trees, they'll bed under it. Um, one of the things I'm still haven't yet figured out that I'm still working on is what the seasonal variation might be to the deer using it. But I do know a few things for sure. I have seen them in the day, in the summer, using these areas. It is hot. I mean, hot, hot. They're still using them. Um, and they, they certainly use them in the winter as well. So um, the, they, the buck early season last year um, went into the marsh, into that area. And then the second buck on that property that I saw in December of that year was traveling from the opposite direction but out into the marsh in the same direction into the marsh. So you got September and December, both times bucks using that area. Um, and then just from general observation um, around this part of Southeast Georgia, I, I know for sure they're using them other parts of the year, but you can find those on, on Google earth. You can go on Google earth and you can find those areas of the marsh where there's bushes and trees in the marsh. Um, a lot of times you'll have this, like wall of really tall grass that the hogs just love to go out into. Um, and you can't really hunt that stuff, but you'll find again, sort of like funnels through it, like openings through it that the deer will just cross back and forth through. Um, the only problem with those areas is you can't hunt from a tree. Mm-hmm. So um, either get you a ground blind, get you a rifle, in which case it doesn't matter. Um, tuck back into the bushes with a ghillie suit, however you want to do it. Um, it's going to be hot. It's going to be buggy. It's not going to be fun. But um, I I kind of expect – so the deer last year that I did not kill that I wanted to kill, let's just say that he was 100-inch eight-point, and I'm hoping he's bigger this year, and I know of – at least three spots that he beds and the fourth appears to be in the marsh or when I say spot, I should say area. Um, and I kind of think I'm going to kill him there this year. So (laughs) that's my goal anyway. So right before I moved my father, right before my father moved and I started taking college seriously, right shortly thereafter. Um, one of the things that I noticed was that there was a propensity for big bucks mature bucks to use those islands and i've racked my brain for probably the last 10 15 years trying to figure out why that why they had this propensity to do so and i've got two two easy answers for it that i think explain it um so going to your first comment why do they use it when it's hot right now and there are cooler places perhaps i think that answer is simply explained by there are fewer bugs out there 
if you're out there in those salt marshes on those cedar uh, cedar uh, areas, if you've got the velvet like they do and you've got the propensity for yellow flies and stuff like that, it feels like whenever I spent my formidable years out there in that marsh, the yellow flies just weren't as abundant as they were inside that tree line or down in the swamps. Um, yeah. You also have a higher propensity for wind, which kind of helps yeah. also cut back on that as well. Um, yep. Yep. So I think that's why they're out there now. I think they stay out there as a consequence to hunter pressure. Frankly, I think if you if you apply beast tactics to those islands, uh, they, you know a lot of what we found was you'd have these cedars that would clump up and do this number, and there'd be like a little like pocket at the bottom of them that was maybe six inches higher than everything else, and they could lay on it. Well, if you got when you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. In Wild Country, rules were not created by man. Don't miss Wild Country, Wednesdays from 7 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Primos. Speak the language. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.